Where do you go for strength? St. Paul prayed for it. Listen to what he wrote to the Ephesians. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. And Paul goes on to give glory to God, who by the power at work within us is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. We have an amazing God. That is from Ephesians chapter 3, and this is the Living the Word Bible Podcast. I'm Sarah Chris Meyer, General Editor of the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible, talking with women about the Bible and the difference that it makes in our lives. My guest today has written about not only strength, but seven other special gifts of women in her book, Reveal the Gift, Living the Feminine Genius. Lisa Cotter is a leading Catholic speaker as well. You may have heard her. She is known for her practical insights on relationships, femininity, and living life with excellence. And she's also the author of a book called Dating Detox, 40 Days of Perfecting Love in an Imperfect World. Lisa's married with four children, ages four to 16. So uh, Lisa, I'm guessing you have plenty of opportunities to practice those truths that you teach. Absolutely. Yeah, using them all every day. Yeah, well, thank you so much for uh, taking time and joining me today. You know, the first time we spoke was when I talked to you about contributing to the Women's Bible. And if I remember, if you don't mind me sharing this, I think you were a little bit wary. You said right out to me, I hope it's not going to be fluff. (laughs) I remember thinking when you said that, oh, no, is that what people are going to think when they hear Women's Bible? Because that Mm. is the stereotype, isn't it? You know, sweet and fluffy, not a whole lot of substance. But that is really the last thing that I wanted in this women's Bible. And yet it had to be feminine, but truly feminine, you know, with all the strength of what it means to be a woman and to really reflect and appeal to real women in the real world. So I feel, you know, especially when I see the things you've written and listen to your talks and so on, that seems to be something that really drives you too. Am I right about that? Absolutely, yes. I'm like, we do not just need sugar-coated Christianity, fluffy, feel-good Christianity. We need the hard truths. We need things that will push us to become saints. And so that's why I asked that. I was like, well, yeah, that stereotype of the women's Bible, like, but is it just going to be surfacey, or are we really going to get into this? And so yeah. I'm happy to report it's not a fluffy Bible. <laughs> <laughs> and I am so glad that you took part in it. So do you want to tell it? Tell us just a, a few words about your book. I think it's a wonderful book, Reveal the Gift, Living the Feminine Genius. What is that in, in two words or less, the feminine genius? <laughs> two words. Oh, man, uh, that's a hard one. I would say if I had to narrow the feminine genius, I would say it's the person-oriented disposition of women. I think that's the the, mm. the shortest I can get it, right? JP2 is the one who made the concept popular, but interestingly, he never defined it himself. And so we kind of have to do some digging, do some research, do some looking, kind of understand what he was getting at, also understand who before him was getting at, because this isn't a concept he created. Mm-hmm. I think that's one misconception about it. He didn't invent it right? It's, it's in part the nature of woman, how God created us and the unique gifts that we bring to the world that JP2 called vitally essential. So that's what the book is about. What are these unique gifts and why does the world need them? 
Yeah, and I understand you have a new course that's just come out on the Hello app. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Yes, it just came out, I think, a week ago or so on the Feminine Genius. So it's kind of taking the best of the best of the book. Obviously, I couldn't give the whole book away. My publisher would not be happy about right. that. <laughs> but we take some of the concepts and we I teach for about 15 minutes and then we pray for about five minutes, pray over the content, mm. pray with scriptures that go with the content, pray with quotes from, from church documents that go with it. And I, I leave you with a challenge, something to help you either deepen your understanding of it or to grow in, in that area. And so that was a really, really fun project that I'm very excited about on the Howl app. Good. Well, I can't wait to, to listen and also to read more of your book. One thing you mentioned, or you at least alluded to, is that the whole idea of the feminine genius is really deeply rooted in scripture. And I think it's clear from your talks and your writing that you have a real reverence for scripture. You read it, you study it. When did that begin? You know, did you read the Bible growing up? Have you always had this interest? So high school was really the real awakening of my faith. And I remember going to Mardell and getting a youth Bible. And I was like, I'm going to read the whole Bible cover to cover. This is, <laughs> and I think my junior year, and I'd put little stars on the corners of the pages when I would finish a page, you know, I still have that Bible. Nice. It's really fun. Yes, I would star the page. I was so proud of it. So I think, you know, I did what everybody does. You start in Revelation, or not Revelation, you start in Genesis, <laughs> and you think you're just going to read all the way through. Somewhere during the Pentateuch, I gave up, unfortunately. And then I jumped and I said, well, maybe I'll do New Testament. I think I made it through the New Testament, but I never went back to the Old Testament until mm-hmm. recently, actually. I have read the Bible cover to cover at this stage in my life. But my love for that scripture, I think, really did start kind of late high school and college. I remember my friends and I would you know, write notes of encouragement to each other. We'd always, you know, end with a Bible verse, usually something oh, nice. that St. Paul, you know, ended with, you know, yeah. <laughs> just always trying to like, or just like drop little Bible verses to each other. And then you'd be like, oh, what's that one? You'd grab your Bible and go look it up. And so, <laughs> yeah, scripture's always been something that I, I, I'm fascinated with, something that I love, something that, oh, you know, it, it always speaks to you wherever you're at, you know, there's always something there for you, no matter what season you're in or place you're at. And so it is something that I frequently turn to. Mm. Well, is there a, a particular incident that you could remember, like when it, it, when it stopped just being something to learn and maybe became the voice of God speaking to you in your life? Yes. So I studied theology in college. So I had a lot of scripture classes and I can remember some of our teachers in particular, I had Dr. Edward Shree, who is, you know, just brilliant and knows his scriptures. And I remember taking classes with him, like Pauline literature. And when he would open up the word in a way where you got the context, you know, and you really understood, well, why is Jesus alluding to this? Or why is St. Paul using this example? And then you understand the depth of it. I can remember some real spiritual moments in those studies and those classes where I would just kind of sit in awe or where you'd see, you know, those connections. I remember taking the gospels classes, right. And, and going, mm-hmm. wait, what, that's a, that's an old Testament reference or, you know, like, <laughs> wait a minute, like God foresaw that. Oh, and, and, and this was a typology of this. I mean, it just, I remember my mind just being absolutely blown. I mean, scripture went from being this thing that was just like encouraging, you know, you just, like, I, I just would look for the encouraging parts of the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, and share them with my friends to understanding that, the God's plan with the word and then, you know, revealed in his son, who is the word, right? Like 
was so much bigger than just this nice book that I that I so long had I'd seen the Bible as, you know, just a nice, nice book of stories or a nice book of encouragement. All of a sudden it was like, oh no, this is this is a summation of everything that the Lord is doing in one place and it speaks and it's living and you know, all these things. And that's I think really when I got to study it was really when all of a sudden I could come back and in my prayer time when I would sit with scripture, I had a whole new lens to look at it through because I had a whole deeper understanding of it. And that I think was kind of a turning point for me. Yeah. It's like you see that, oh, there's a story here. And it began in the beginning of time and God actually had intention and he followed up on what he said he was going to do. And, oh, maybe that all applies to me also. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah. So, so Lisa, you have four children ages, as I said earlier, four to 16, you know, when do you find time to read and study? Do you have like a daily <laughs> habit or what do you do? I know. I I used to have a daily habit and great routines and my life was very ordered. And then, you know, you just hit the point we've got a high schooler, a junior high or a grade schooler and a preschooler. Life <laughs> just gets more chaotic. <laughs> I mean, all of them are in school currently, but I don't think... I, yeah, every day this week, somebody was home, you know, whether they didn't have school or whether they were sick, you know, it's just this constant, you know, turning through the door. So what I've found, what I've leaned on, that's been my best time, right? Like I have a schedule, right? But I just, you have to realize it's not always going to be, it's not always going to be possible. What I've realized though, is I leave from school for school pickup and I go to the Adoration Chapel. And that's Mm -hmm. when I do kind of my prayer time, my study time. That's, that's intentional. More so like my meditation time, right? Mm-hmm. That happens usually right before I pick the kids up, which is a good reset for me. It's a good time for me to kind of move from, okay, at home working on things, let's transition. And now we're going full on mom mode, right? Mm-hmm. So making that transition each day. That's that's kind of what I found for work has worked for me in other seasons. First thing in the morning worked really well. But gosh, we don't sleep, Sarah. When do you sleep when you have kids who are 16 to four, right? Like the four-year-old's up at 6.30 and the 16-year-old's up until 10. And so you're like, oh. It doesn't get better. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I have to so. run without sleep. But I'm glad that you said, you know, there are different seasons. So times when you might read first thing in the morning. I love that you get that time in front of the Blessed Sacrament or before Mass or whatever it is when you can go and what did you call it? Your meditation time. And scripture is such a great help to meditation because it's not just us, you know, speaking words of God, but we can actually hear him speaking to us and then Mm -hmm. study really at a different time. I used to do that after Mm -hmm. my kids went to bed. And hopefully the Ah. 16-year-old is doing their own homework or something. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah, it's wild. Well, you know, I I can't talk to you and not ask for a Bible hack. (laughs) You know, I think (laughs) you're famous for your, you know, four ways to do this or that or whatever. But Mm -hmm. I wonder if you have a favorite Bible hack to share with people that would help them with their reading. So I am... Yeah, I'm a very organized person, right? I like things to be orderly, which is why this is how the Lord is making me a saint, having four kids in very different places of life. Because <laughs> it's not very ordered all the time. But my Bible, I love to have my Bible be ordered. So I have found that I've always been someone who take notes in my Bible, right? Like underlines, highlights, all that stuff. And just a few years ago, I finally found, and maybe this is something everybody knows about, but I finally found there are special highlighters for Bibles that don't bleed yeah. through the pages. And I was so excited because, you know, then you flip the page over and it's like the yellow's on the other side too. And you didn't want that, right? Mm-hmm. 
if you just Google it, right? Bible highlighters. There's amazing little like gel highlighters that'll highlight for you. And then what I like to do is I like to color coordinate my highlights. So okay. like, I like red that. is, yeah, it's like red is for suffering, right? Like Christ's passion, right? Blue is for when I see women being pulled out in the scriptures mm-hmm. or, or specific, you know, verses that would speak to me as a woman, mm-hmm. especially doing my research for my book. I was, you know, combing through scripture, you know, where are some places where God's speaking to women? What does he have to say to us specifically? Where do, where does he bring out our gifts? Where does Mary exude the gifts? Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. she she is our example, right? Or maybe it's yellow is uh, is about like the kingdom of God, about heaven, about looking for, you know, that, that eternal life uh, that we are promised to enter into one day, right? So it's fun to me to kind of have those things highlighted in those different colors. And then I can when I'm searching through, I can easily find things or something might stand out to me and remind me, oh yeah, I could use, you know, a word of encouragement right now. So let's look for the green, you know, whatever it is. So that's one way that I like to use my organized brain. Nice. I like that. I've I've never used colors, but as you're talking, I'm thinking of all the times I like to look for examples of when plant imagery is used to talk about our growth and I could use green for that. So maybe I will... Do that in my new Living the Word Bible where there's nice big margins to write in. Yes, I do love um, that about the Bible. Yes, that particularly, little, yeah, because there's just those spaces to put down your thoughts and yep, yep. those inspirations. Mm-hmm. So in your book, Reveal the Gift, I love the way you set it up. You have a different chapter for each of these eight aspects of the feminine genius, but you focused on one particular saint, you know, who is an example that we can learn from about that feminine genius. And then for the Living the Word Bible, you looked at some biblical examples of women who showed forth the feminine genius. And today I'm thinking in particular about the group of women who followed Jesus from Galilee, who ministered to him all the way to the cross. And you wrote a Mm -hmm. really lovely reflection on that. And I wonder if you could just tell the people who are listening about them and what drew you to them. Yes. So there are not as many stories about women in the Bible, right? We know that and that's okay, right? There's some really strong stories, um, but we don't see them as particularly in the Gospels as much as we do stories of men. And so my ears were always perked up to, you know, when is when is it that we're hearing about women? And so as I was going through, I, I don't know when, I don't even know when I, you know, made this connection, right? But when you read the Gospels, sometimes you don't see many stories of women, but when you get to the crucifixion, all you hear about is women, mm-hmm. with, with the exception to John, right? John's there. But other than that, who are we hearing about? We're hearing about Mary Magdalene. We're hearing about Mary, the mother of Jesus. We're hearing about Salome. I might be saying that wrong, right? The mother of James and Joseph, right? Yeah. We're, all these women all of a sudden are coming up. And I remember thinking, well, why? Like, why is it that we haven't heard from women very much? You know, we do get Martha and Mary. We get the woman at the well. We get some. But then we get to the crucifixion. That's all we hear about. And then I made the connection that that's because all the disciples, with the exception of John, fled at the moment of Jesus's passion. You know, they're with him at the agony in the garden. And then we hear a little bit about Peter, right, with the cock's crow mm-hmm. and his denial. And then we don't hear about them again until the resurrection. And so women were there. They were the ones who were there yeah. at the cross. And so they were the witnesses. And it's because of them that we have the accounts of Jesus's passion, right? They were the ones who were walking along Calvary. They were the ones standing at the foot of the cross. And I'm sure I'm sure there were other witnesses that the gospel writers drew from. 
But I have a feeling that Mary was somebody who they all turned to to say, tell us what happened. Mm. We weren't there. Right. Mary Magdalene and Mary. They were all Mary. That's the confusing part. (laughs) When you're trying to figure out who's who, you're like, they were all named Mary. And they were, you know, mothers of some of the disciples, right? They were, some scholars believe one of them was Jesus's aunt, right? So they were family members and that's who was there. And so that to me was fascinating and incredibly inspiring and really pointed to the uniqueness of women. The fact that we see this like gender separation of the men are, are missing, but the women are there. Like why, why did the women have the strength to be there? And so that, that is kind of what like set me off in motion in all of this. And so how does that then reflect the feminine genius? Yeah, so John Paul II, so these gifts, I do want to make it clear so that I talk about these eight gifts, right? Because some people may have heard, well, I heard there were four aspects to the feminine genius. Where do these eight come from, right? So I think it's really important to know when we talk about the feminine genius that that John Paul II never gave us a list either. They didn't define it. He also didn't say, here are the aspects, right? So these eight that I look at are ones that when I was reading through his works, you know, combing through, trying to find it, These are words that either he really drilled down in on, or these are words that he came back to over and over again. So strength is one of those words that I saw John Paul II doing both, coming back to and drilling down in on. And so what he's getting at is this idea that women, right? Like the way that we live strength as women, right? Our unique feminine genius strength is vitally essential to the world, right? He wants to bring that and draw that into the world. And he uses the women of, a, of the cross as an example for that. I was so excited when I saw that. I was like, no way, like here's JP2 <laughs> pulling out things that I'm seeing, you know, just from my own reading of scripture. Can I read it to you? There's a little section oh, of quote. My yeah. Yes. So he is writing here in Mulier Stignatatum, which is on the dignity and vocation of women. And he says, as we see in this most arduous test of faith and fidelity, the women proved stronger than the apostles. In this moment of danger, those who love much succeed in overcoming their fear. I mean, so just right there, he pulls out so many of the strengths of women, right? Mm-hmm. That just the fact that they are strong, right? Maybe not physically strong in the sense of like, oh, you know, we've got, you know, we're really muscular and dense bones. And I mean, when you do the science, physically speaking, on average, men are physically stronger, Right. But when it comes to interior strength, here we see the women are outdoing the men, right? They proved stronger. They were able to put aside their fear out of love, right? They were able to live that gift of fidelity that they have, right? Like, I will be by that person's side because that's a person who's in my heart and I'm not going to abandon them this moment. Like, that's another gift that we have as women, right? That we get to be um, what Benedict XVI would call the privileged sign of. And so it's not to say, oh, well, men aren't called to these things. It's just, they're going to express it in their masculine way. And I, as a woman, I'm going to express it in my feminine way. And what we see right here is that interior strength of women shining through at the cross as they put aside their fear. And they say, I will be with Jesus. I will be with my Lord. I will walk with him. I will witness that suffering. Like I can't, oh, I can't even imagine watching that like live in real time. You know, I think Mm -hmm. about Mary in that moment as well, the amount of strength that it would take to watch your child walk that road to Calvary, to be mocked, to be, you know, beaten when you're down and being told to get back up again. And then to see him hanging on that cross, the, the agony that it would take. Gosh, I would hope, you know, I don't, the Lord obviously I wouldn't, wouldn't call me to that kind of a suffering, right? But I would hope that I would be able to rely on that strength that is interior to hold on in those, those deepest moments of 
darkness and despair out of love for the people who God has entrusted to me. Yeah. And that's interesting that John was there because John is, you know, the disciple who Jesus loved, but the disciple who loved Mm. Jesus. And there's that verse, you know, that perfect love casts out fear. And I have Mm. never witnessed that kind of suffering in anybody, but I have sat by my child when I thought he was going to die, when he was on a hospital bed, you know, strapped full of you know, all the wrappings and tubes and everything else. And it was really painful, but there is no way that I would not have been there because I'm his mom. Mm -hmm. And that motherly strength that is there in spite of fear, that fear doesn't, Mm -hmm. fear can't touch it because this is what love does. And I think that gets it, as you have beautifully drawn out in your book, you know, what the feminine genius is all about. It's about, uh, now I can't remember the exact words that you used when you quoted John Paul II, but it's relational. It has to do, there's something about women that naturally considers the person and this affects the way she acts and it gives her strength in these types of situations. Yeah. He talks about how women have a unique capacity to see people with their hearts, Mm. right? Like we can't, we can't look past that. We can't look past their humanity and their dignity and their worth. And, and the fact that they have a soul that was, you know, uniquely created for some, something more even than this earth, you know? And so that's what compels us and what yeah helps us to jump over that boundary of fear when need be for the sake of those we love. So is there a, a particular time in your life that that resonates with, that you have experienced that kind of love coming forth? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I think, too, is in millions of little ways, right? <laughs> As a mother, there's always those moments, you know, where we have to be strong in situations for our families, especially for our children. But I think one of the defining moments of my life was the passing of my dad, which he passed away at 45. But he and my mom had us pretty young. So I was my junior year in college is when he passed away. But just really needing that interior strength in those moments, because even although it was my dad, right? But there were so many people around that it's, it's an interesting thing, at least for me, you know, when, when someone of your family is going home, right? Everybody's gathering and like, they do want to take care of you, but at the same time, like they're also kind of falling apart, you know? So even as, as like the child in the situation, you know, people wanted to talk to me about my dad. They wanted to share their story. They wanted to mourn with me. And sometimes it was like, I just need to be by myself right now. But out of love for those family members, out of love for everybody who was around, you sat with them and you listened to them, you heard their stories. And I don't think I've ever felt a season in my life where I felt God carrying me more, where I Mm -hmm. felt my being able to receive his grace to enter into that situation more, right? We were all there with him when he passed, but I wouldn't have had it any other way than, you know, (laughs) kind of like you said, sitting with your child, you know, sitting with my dad, I there's no way I wouldn't be in that room, you know, with him in those final moments and praise God, he was comfortable. And, but it was, you know, it's, it's still a a difficult thing to watch somebody pass. And, and so I, I can, that's kind of, I think the biggest moment, and it was a young in my life to learn, wow, God has given me a resiliency that I don't think I would have known unless it had been tested. You know, like he's given me a strength that I wouldn't be aware of unless I had the opportunity to, to have to live it. And I think that's given me a lot of confidence just in life. Anytime there's difficulties or, or, or tragedies or things that could be fearful, I think the gift of having walked through that is that I've, I've seen before 
it's going to be okay. God's going to use this. He's going to make good come out of this. And so it's given me, I think, a strength that I wouldn't have had I not walked through that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It absolutely does. Having been there myself, I can I can feel that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, here we are, we're entering Holy Week. And, you know, a lot of people are going to spend time going to, you know, sitting in front of the crucifix, doing the Stations of the Cross and so on. Do you think it might be of, of value for people to hold in their head that that scene in particular of the women at the cross? And is that something that you might do, you know, going into Holy Week? Does that help your Holy Week preparations? Yes. Whenever I imagine the foot of the cross, I'm never alone. Like Mary is always there standing with me, mm-hmm. Mary Magdalene. You know, I I like to, I'm a, I'm a visual prayer, right? I like to enter into the story. I like to try to picture what does it look like? What does it sound like? Lexio Divina type, you know, imaginative prayer, all those things, you know, I mix them all together. I, I choose all, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I like, whenever I picture myself at the foot of the cross, yes, it's always like huddled there with those women, right? Mm-hmm. Teach me what you see, right? Show me, show me who he is. You know him better than I do, right? Introduce me to this man, Jesus. What compelled you to be here? You know, Mm. help me love him like you do. Help me to not run. Because honestly, I'm the type of person who I do still sometimes lean back on. I like like the happy Bible, you know? I'm like looking for where's Proverbs 31 and where's those, you know, scenes that are going to make me feel good. And, you know, those those verses that, you know, kind of like warm the heart, you know? Yep, yep. And and when God's like, well, no, sit at the cross and think about my death. I'm like, oh. I don't know if I want to think about that. I don't know if I want to go there. You know, the stations praying those. I'm like, meditate on the agony. Like, oh, I just, I want to get to the resurrection. Can we skip this, Lord, right? So I turn to those women to be, you know, a a source of an example and inspiration for strength, right? You didn't run and you were physically there. Don't let me run. And I'm, and I'm just, I'm just meditating on it. You know, if they can do it, I can, I can sit here and imagine it if they could stand there and watch it. So Mm -hmm. they're, they're very inspirational to me. There's, I don't know if you've ever been to the Holy Land, but in Jerusalem in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, if you, you can go right to Calvary and there's this altar. And when you walk up, there's this big mosaic that's kind of looming up above it. And maybe it's a painting. I can't remember, but Jesus is on the ground and the soldiers are nailing him to the cross. And Mary is standing behind him, but she's facing you. And she kind of, she's larger than life. And she's all shrouded in black. And she has her hands together, maybe around a prayer book, but I'm not, I'm not sure about that. But she's standing there watching her son, like standing over him as he gets nailed to the cross. And then if you just turn, you know, 45 degrees or whatever, there's another painting and it's all the women just grouped there. John also actually, but you can just see the anguish on their faces and the love. And there they are just almost poised to reach out. And I know they just want to help him and be with him. And it's really Mm -hmm. really moving. And Mm -hmm. when you go there and you just think, Jesus, you did this for me. And then you bring your own agony and try to lay it down by the cross, by him, all of those people are with you. And Mm -hmm. I think you've really put your finger on something, that we are not alone with the community of saints, that they were with Jesus on the cross, but they're also 
They can be there with us when we bring our agony to the cross and offer it up together with him. It's really strengthening beautiful things. So maybe during Easter, I would recommend that people get a picture of the the people at the cross, the women at the cross, and meditate visually on that as you stand by the the cross and pray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like we're never we're never alone in this big family of God, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's such a comfort to me. It's such a comfort to know that you know. Of course, we have God the Father. Of course, we have His Son. Of course, we have the Holy Spirit. But we also have His Mother. We also mm-hmm. have all of those apostles. We have the saints. There's you know. So many who are with us and who who walk with us on this road of Holy Week, who have suffered agonies, who have you know, some of them are physically there, but some of them in this life have suffered, you know, their own agonies. I think like Saint Therese, right? You know, yes. so many saints we can turn to to help us to live Holy Week well, because without the cross, there is no resurrection. Amen. My grandmother used to say that all the time. Mm. <laughs> without a cross, there can be no resurrection. That's true in our mm-hmm. lives as well. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd like to get back to scripture because I like pictures too. Personally, I do better with words and maybe some people who are listening do also. And I'm just wondering if there's a favorite Bible passage that you have where you go when you are in trouble, when you need strength, something that, that gives you strength. And then maybe mm-hmm. if you, after you've told us about it, we could pray with it with people. Yes. I think one verse I find myself going back to over and over again, and it's it's really one example of similar verses, many similar verses where God shows that even when he doesn't take away the pain and the suffering, he's there in the midst of it, right? Mm-hmm. I think of like the psalmist, you know, like the storm is raging, Lord, like, what you know, what are you going to do? And he doesn't say, I'll calm it. He says, I'll be your shelter, right? Yeah. We see Joshua heading into the promised land and he's like, Lord, like there's people here, like you gave us this land, what are we going to do? And he doesn't say, oh, well, I'll just send them away. He says, no, I will fight with you, right? So sometimes God doesn't take away our sufferings, but what he does is he says, but I'll be with you in it. And I think one of my favorite ones that I come to over and over again is from 2 Corinthians, when St. Paul is talking about this thorn in his side, right? And he's like, Mm -hmm. three times I beg the Lord, take this from me. And what is God's answer, right? It's not, I'll remove the thorn. It's not, oh, choose joy. You know, Paul, just kind of like pull yourself up. You got this. You know, I believe in you. Right? No, the Lord, the Lord says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Yes. He says, I'm going to be your strength in this time, Paul. I will be the one who will give you what you need. It's my joy. It's my peace. It's my love. It's me. That's who's going to carry you through this is me living in you, my Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And so that's, I think, a verse that I come back to over and over and over again. Whenever, you know, I'm feeling overwhelmed, whenever I'm feeling uh, uncertain, you know, what do we do in this situation? I I mean, any situation where we feel the brokenness of the world, (laughs) that's what I come back to. I wanted to just kind of tie back to that verse I read at the beginning. There's this idea of inner strength. And to me, it's so comforting that I guess a lot of times maybe maybe you're this way too, but we want to build our own strength. You know, we want to go do the workout. Mm -hmm. What's it going to take for me to be strong enough to handle this when all the Lord is asking us to is to rely on him so that he can pour his incredible strength into us. And that Mm -hmm. is the grace that's sufficient, not us having built up our own strength, but Mm -hmm. him giving us his strength. So 
I would love to pray with that with people. And it's actually, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I will read, I'll pick up partway through verse 7 and read all the way through verse 10. If anybody wants to turn to that while I'm reading and maybe pause this and open up your Bible. But then just listen as I read. We'll pray with it together and ask the Lord to speak to your hearts. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we ask, Holy Spirit, come, open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I besought the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We don't have to be all in ourselves. My grace, God's grace, is sufficient for us. His power is made perfect in our weakness. So, keep going. I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, which Paul knew very well, didn't he? But I love his reason. He says, For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I pray, Heavenly Father, for all those who are listening who may be experiencing a thorn in the flesh, some kind of weakness. Strengthen them interiorly with your might through your spirit. And we ask for your strength, particularly for those who find themselves drawing close to loved ones who are suffering as the women drew close to your cross. Thank you for your word and for its life-giving power. Open our ears and our hearts to receive and to ponder what we hear. Give us grace to love and live your word in our daily lives. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. And Mary, you who stood by your son to the end, pray for us. Thank you, Lisa. It's been so wonderful talking to you today. And before we go, can you just let people know where they can reach you or find out about your books and your ministry? Yes, I do have a website. It's called Made to Magnify. So M-A-D-E-T-O-M-A-G-N-I-F-Y.com. And that's after Mary's Magnificat, right? Oh, nice. We were made to proclaim the greatness of the Lord. So hopefully our lives glorify Him like Mary's. And so that is my website. I'm also on Instagram at Lisa Ann Cotter and with no E. And you can, yeah, find me there. You can get links to my books, invite me to come speak at your next conference, whatever. It's all there. Yeah. And check you out on the Hello app. That's right. Yes. The Hello <laughs> app too. And if you want, if you have never joined the Hello app before, hallow.com slash Lisa Cotter, all one word, will get you three free months of the premium. So get you oh. behind. Yeah. So it gets you full access to everything on the app, which is just unbelievable resources, music, meditations, courses, prayers. Oh, I can't even, I can't even keep up. Every time I get on, I'm like, there's 10 new things. How do they do this? So it's pretty amazing. Great. Well, thank you for that. And I think I will try it myself. 
This is Sarah Chris Meyer, and this has been the Living the Word Bible Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you will join me every Thursday for conversations with women who love and live God's Word. You can also join our Instagram community at Living the Word Bible. Be sure to go there and share your favorite example of feminine strength in the Bible. I think I will put up that question this week after hearing what Lisa had to say. I'd love to hear from you there. And if you'd like to get a copy of the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible, it's available to you now for the special price of $59.95 and free shipping. So just go to AveMariaPress.com and use the promo code BiblePodcast, all one word. The offer expires at the end of this year. Thank you again for being with us, and may God richly bless you as you read His Word. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.